Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self-mastery. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Corey, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? What's up, Nick? Super excited to be here. Man, I'm super excited that you're here. I was telling you this that uh, this morning, so I do meditations every single morning and as night, as often as I can. It's part of my routine. But there are moments in the mornings where I have three to five minutes with you at different times and then tell me to go have a kick-ass day. And that's really how, that's how our friendship here started. Uh, I found out about the Insight Timer app and then found some dude who told me to have a kick-ass day in the beginning of a morning meditation. I was like, this is great. And then I found out that we were connected, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon style in a sense, uh, with somebody on LinkedIn who also has another podcast, the 1% podcast. Think differently, my friends. Um, and man, I'm, I'm just really happy that you're on the show. So without nerding out, thank you for being here. <laughs> awesome, man. I really appreciate it. I, I'm honored to be here. I'm excited for our conversation. Cool. So why don't you get us started? Give us a little bit of context. Who is Corey Quinn? What do you do? And tell us one thing that most people don't know about you that's a little odd or bizarre. Okay. So Corey Quinn, I am a consultant. I work with uh, B2B subscription-based businesses uh, doing north of $3 million. I work uh, really closely with the founders and marketing team to help them get unstuck. That's my job. Uh, and so something that is uh, different and a little unique about me, I was a childhood actor and I starred on the very first Chicken McNuggets commercial that ever aired. And the funny thing is, so I was this little kid, I was like seven years old, and I, I had a chance for the very first time to show um, my son, who's now seven years old, a clip of me on television. It was obviously on YouTube now. And I was super excited because I was like, oh, I'm going to finally show this to him. And like, he's going to, he's going to get such a kick out of this. And so I, I play the commercial and, uh, he couldn't care less. Like, oh yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, kind of anticlimactic there, but, uh, yeah, I was, a, I was a childhood actor. I did about, about three years. I did a, uh, Igloo Ice Chest commercial with Joe Theismann. I did uh, a couple of, uh, Hot Wheels, McDonald's, you know, you know, as you do here in Los Angeles, it's what we do. Yeah, you know, uh, these coasters, we don't typically get in the commercials unless we were, uh, you know, running past the street. And they're like, how the fuck that guy getting here? <clears throat> how did, So give me a little bit of background to that. How did you get into that? Did you have family that was into that sort of thing? Or were they just like, you're a cute kid. Let's get you chicken nuggets. Yeah, no, I, I was a cute kid. I think we were at um, Saks Fifth Avenue as a, as a child. We were going, my mom and I were together and we were going to, uh, we we're going to a wedding. So I had to get a suit and I was in the sort of the, the, the formal wear area in the in the um, in the shopping center and there's some scout that came up to my mom and said you got a pretty cute kid there you know he'd be great in commercials here's my card and then you know one thing led to the next and next thing I know I'm I'm eating chicken McNuggets with a huge camera in my face <laughs> what a weird thing that's so cool though I I feel like that would be a weird situation now like if somebody walks up and was like you have a cute kid here's my card they'd be like nine one fucking one yeah, no, it would be a little alarming and just, yeah, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so you were you were an actor for a little bit. Did you do anything past uh, past those commercials or did you want to even? No, you know, um, I 
loved it. It was super unique. I didn't have any friends doing it. And I was, it was at a time in my life when my friends were super important. I wanted to uh, spend time with them. I didn't fully enjoy it. was fine. It was cool. It was different. And I did it, like I said, for a couple of years. And then I eventually decided, Hey, you know, this is not really that fun. So I decided to kind of hang it up. And then, you know, my, uh, my parents didn't have a problem with it. They were, they were, you know, happy as long as I was happy. So hmm. that's cool. So let's jump a little bit ahead. So now that you're working business to business and working with other, uh, marketing people, how did you get into that? Like what, <laughs> what was the path that led you from eating chicken McNuggets to working with CM CEOs and CMOs? Yeah. Yeah. So quick background on me. Um, I, my, my previous role was as the chief marketing officer at a company called Scorpion. And Scorpion is a B2B, uh, basically a marketing agency, very technology-heavy agency serving the SMBs. I joined the company about uh, seven years ago, and I was with them for a full, basically six years as their chief marketing officer. We grew the company super fast. We started off at about $20 million in annual revenue, grew it to be about $150 million in about six years, massive, massive growth. I learned a lot. And um, throughout the years, I always wanted to get back to more of an entrepreneurial um, motion in my, my career. And so my time at Scorpion was uh, amazing. And it felt at a certain point, it was time for me to move on. And what I really wanted to do was to step out and be, I guess what they call today, a solopreneur uh, and start helping other companies by leveraging the experience that I had at Scorpion. And then previous in my career, uh, all the sort of B2B sales and marketing experience, which led me to today. And uh, I, uh, so I left Scorpion at the end of last year and it was a great decision for me personally. And I've stepped into this consulting role, landed two clients really quickly, uh, and then a third one. And then now I'm just focused on helping these three companies grow and it's been great. That's awesome, man. I I know uh, growing a business can be a lot. It can be taxing on you personally, spiritually, physically, all of that. But to have an, a crazy amount of growth over a six-year period, how did you manage your emotions? How did you manage your mindset? And how did you manage just being you without being kind of a, a workaholic? Sure. Thank you. Well, I probably could not uh, say that I was not a workaholic, but uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of imbalance, I think, for a couple of years, and that was part of it. Honestly, to be to be you know, completely transparent, um, it was a, a challenging role in a very very fast growing company in a um, in a culture. So every company has its own culture, and this company has such a fun, um, exciting sort of client first, committed kind of. Um, culture where you really feel a part of the family and all these things. And so I was really consumed by that in a, I think in a positive way in some, in some respects, you know, I, I, um, potentially, uh, prioritize work over other aspects of my life and to a certain point, um, when I wanted to make some changes, but, um, I would say that it was a period of a lot of stress, <laughs> uh, good stress, but, um, also, what helped to sort of balance it out was a lot of uh, a lot of positive impact. We were growing the company, we were making great strides, and so the work was really resulting in some nice um, sort of material benefits. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I know if um, if you're working and grinding on something and building and building, but you don't see anything really coming out of it, you can just feel like you're not doing anything. 
or that you're moving backwards. So for you to see that growth must have been great. But here you are years later, I mean, a little over a year or whatever, uh, post being out of the company, but being able to look back, are there things that you would have done differently for yourself or mentally to be able to get through that stuff a little differently? Yes. Yes. And no, it's hard to say because it was a culture of sort of overwork at the time when I was at the company. And so, um, you kind of either are on the bus or you're not. And so it's kind of part of the sort of the social contract of, of, uh, being all in and being a part of that. And so, um, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, so the executive team, there's a bunch of founders uh, or the founder and, and, and a lot of his sort of close friends are, are, are heavily involved in the business. And there is sort of a culture, at least when I joined the company of going out and having a great time, going out and getting drinks. It was, I think every Tuesday and Thursday night, it wasn't just a cocktail and go home. It was, let's, let's have some fun, like, you know, type of thing. And I, uh, I've always lived sort of very, um, conscious of my health or maybe not always, always, but you know, my adult life for sure have been very conscious of my health. And that was not something I really wanted to do. Um, you know, drink a lot of alcohol. I'd always be hung over the next day. And, um, the, the location of the office was about an hour from my house. And so it was not very practical with a wife and son at home to go out every Tuesday and Thursday night. However, um, as a result of not doing that, I may have missed opportunities for bonding with my team or the executive team, uh, the founder and, and others. And it was sort of a trade-off. And I remember actually asking my coach, you know, how do I, how do I build a better relationship with the founder and, and some of the other uh, senior executives that were basically my team uh, without doing this? And, and his answer was pretty straightforward, which is, well, you just have to suck it up and go out and have a good time with them and not, and not, uh, you know, not think about it too much. And, um, and I thought about that and I thought, well, you know, I could do that, but, um, then I would be compromising my, my, my values a little bit. And I decided to ultimately not do that. So I, I kind of, I think potentially missed out on some, some trust building and some culture building at the, uh, at the company. Sure. I'm sure there's still a lot of companies that are like that. We were talking before we hit record about how remote work has kind of changed a lot of things for people, especially working from home. Some people are more, more of a holic now because they don't have to drive. You're just like constantly here. And I find myself doing that shit where I'm like, oh, I'll go make dinner. Five minutes later, I'm back at the computer. I'm like, how, the, how did I get here? Um, but being in that spot where there are companies that almost make you feel like you have to do these things to be part of the crew. And I think some of that really stems from some of the fear that they have as owners. And I've experienced that with different companies I've been part of, but also through conversations with people where they're like, well, I feel this way and I can't do anything different. And they're obligated to either go spend that time or put in the extra work. Now, how do you talk to CMOs about that now, knowing the shit that you went through and honestly knowing that's not really fucking healthy at all? Right, exactly. I think, well, I think what you're mentioning about uh, remote work, I think people are being hired um, away from the headquarters where a lot of these things typically happen, you know, it's, especially at the senior level. So if the CEO's in, Florida and the CMO is in the Bay area. Um, there isn't, um, there's less pressure to go and kind of have a sort of always, always be on and always be sort of in that mode. If you're not particularly, uh, that's not particularly your thing, by the way, I'm an introvert. So I'm not the guy who likes to go out drinking all night for, you know, a couple nights a week. That's just kind of not something I'm very interested in, not only from a health perspective, but, but I think, 
um, when it does, when it does come up, you know, I think there's a certain aspect of it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you have to, you have to show up and you have to, um, uh, you know, put the, put the company hat on and, and, and do the things that will help you to build tighter relationships. Cause that's ultimately what's going to serve you in your career. Um, but as long as it's, as long as you're not compromising your values, um, in such a way that is, um, you know, harming your health, harming your relationships, putting yourself in harm. Um, I think that there's some, some gray area there as far as what you should do. And it's really, ultimately it's up to the person, but there's a certain level of, um, of needing to participate in those things. Yeah. There's a balance. I get that. Like, you don't want to always be that guy. Like, no, I'm not going to do anything. I don't really like you people. I'm going to go home. Like you got me from nine to four fifty nine, and that's it. And, and look, I think, and just, just start to interject, but I think there's, there's different stages of businesses as well. And so this happened to be a earlier stage business in a massive growth cycle that required a lot of um, collaboration, a lot of trust, a lot of activity. And so for someone to sort of not be of the mind of, you know, company first and, you know, let's, let, we're on this crazy ride together and we're going to do whatever it takes to see where it goes, that mentality I don't think you'd fit in, at least at this company, you certainly wouldn't get, you wouldn't fit in and you would probably wouldn't last long. So there's, there's a sort of requirement. Now you contrast that with, if you go and work for Uber or you go work for Facebook, it's a much different business. It's an enterprise level business and there's actually a lot more infrastructure, there's a lot more uh, oversight from a human resources perspective. And so there's not that expectation. In fact, it's probably the opposite where it's like, you have to ask for overtime <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> so the people that you're working with now, did you find that you gravitated toward maybe a little bit more of a mom and pop or maybe something more corporate uh, or something completely different than what you had? What I've, what I was very intentional when I, when I left Scorpion, I knew I wanted to consult with businesses. Um, but I had to figure out what, what, at what level, like what type of business and, um, what I was immediately attracted to is walk, working with founders. And the reason for that is I've been a founder myself. I have, uh, I started up a business out of college. We raised $6 million and, um, we, we grew the business. It was a, it was a, a great experience. So I've been a founder. I've worked for the founder of, um, a business multiple times. The last company I worked for Scorpion, I worked directly for the founder. And so, um, I also have a, an affinity for people who like to break the rules and like to do big things and like want to really build something interesting. And so I like that energy and I'm attracted to that type of uh, motion. And so as a result of that, I decided I wanted to work with founders. Now, um, I don't work with pure startups. And the reason why is because I find that my strengths come in helping a business that has a level of success find uh, uh, find focus out of chaos. Anytime you do a startup business, there's a lot of work that's done in a lot of different directions. You say yes to a ton of different clients. And so at a certain point doing that is counterproductive. And so my, my role as I see it is helping companies to get focused once they've already gotten a level of traction in the business. Interesting. Uh, honestly, man, uh, the thing that came to mind is uh, those people that help people uh, organize their closets. And I've had conversations with those people and they're like, you never really think about it until you go in and you look for the damn thing. And same with business. You can transfer that over where you go, you got a lot of shit in this closet. We got to take this out. We got to work through it because looking at it, you're like, I don't know what to do. We just keep doing these things over and over. Now, do you find that you get into a lot of 
almost therapy or mental work with the people that you're working through because they're just ingrained in the shit that they've been doing. I'll give you an example. So yes. And, and, uh, the example I have is one of my, one of my clients is a software business. They have an amazing product in the sort of the learning development space and they are about six years old. They do about $3 million in revenue. And as I've gotten to know the company and the, and the product is by far the most is a superior product in the market for sure. Um, just as far as features and functionality and the value that it creates relative to its competitive set. And the business, as I mentioned, is doing about $3 million. It should be doing 30 million. And the reason why they've, they've limited themselves is because, uh, when I, when I got in there, we looked at the business, they're in 29 different verticals, uh, meaning that they said yes to everybody. Uh, everyone from you know sports management to um, uh, to hospitality restaurants travel uh, you name it like they're in every other they're in every business and the challenge for that that he found himself in the CEO and founder is that he was uh, as a small three million dollar business he's unable to compete against the large the super large businesses that are much more established and can market more broadly and to, and to attract the larger larger audience. And as a result of that broad approach, uh, his, his message kind of really fell flat in the market. And so what we did is we identified of the 29 different verticals, which one was the best fit for him and for the business from both a, um, a revenue or retention perspective, as well as qualitative, like which companies do they like working with? Which ones are a good fit for the product? Which ones map to the future product map, roadmap, and so on and so forth. So we identified restaurants as that vertical. That's the vertical. And so what we're doing now is we're building business around uh, a go-to-market plan around focusing only on dominating in restaurants, putting 100% of the effort behind that versus you know diffusing the effort across these 29 different verticals. So how did he feel about the unraveling when he was like, but I did all this work and I got us into all these things. You're like, that's cool. Let's get it to one. Yeah. Well, I think he was ready. And that's really the best client for me is someone who's like, ah, I've tried it. I've tried it. I've tried it. I can't figure it out. I know I need to simplify. I don't know how. And to your earlier question, the, um, you know, it's like anything else it's behavior, right? So it's, it's getting out of the habit of saying yes to everything and saying no to certain things. And frankly, he's still saying yes to a lot of things that he shouldn't be. But my role is to help him to stay focused, like to build that plan is help him stay focused and invested in this plan. And once you know, as we continue to see results, I expect his behavior to change just like any other human behavior, which is that when you see results and they're the results that you want, that you've been struggling to get, you tend to, you tend to want to do more of that stuff. So that's, it's all a work in progress. Yeah. Just like when you see it working, you're like, oh, so I shouldn't do those stupid things anymore. No. Okay, great. I'll go do more of that. Or hopefully he's so busy. He doesn't have time for the other stuff. Yeah, there you go. So what sort of advice would you give uh, to that founder that's in a spot like that right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say um, either you are sort of uh, self-aware or you're not as it relates to this specific issue. And what I mean by that is either you're still in the mode of saying yes to everything and you're convinced that by just saying yes to one more deal, to one more vertical, more revenue, that you're going to somehow make it big or somehow scale and so on and so forth. And that's really not the client for me. It's really the person I want to speak to is the person who is, has done that, has been through that and has realized that no matter what you do, no matter what vendor you partner with, no matter what agency you, you have, no matter what sales team you hire or sales leader, that that is not the thing that's going to change it. It's going to be through focus. And so, um, what I would say is in general, as a discipline, 
it is better to focus on a singular vertical, a single single buyer today and building your business around that. And then once you've mastered that niche around that buyer, then you can go on to the next one. So it's more of a sequential approach to growth versus sort of a, a concurrent. Yeah. Or as some would just like it to be a shotgun where they're like, we want everybody, everybody come on in. We want to sell you things. Right. And, and that's fine. Um, but I can't help you if you're, if you're, if that's your mindset where it's like, ah, you know, I want everything and I, my product's perfect for everybody. Everybody can use it and everybody's a perfect fit. They're not ready yet. Yeah. yeah they got stuff they got to go through to figure that out. And, and you'd mentioned about mindset. So I, I want to know how you got to the point where you got onto the Insight Timer app and got into meditation and all of that. I know you'd said that you don't typically kind of tie the two together, but it does sound like within conversations and you being you, you're going to kind of bring that sort of stuff up and have those sort of things happen. But how did you get into that side of more of the spiritual and more of the meditation and, and personal growth? So I would say uh, I was really introduced to personal development by my mother, of all people. Thank, uh, thank goodness for her. Uh, early on, my parents did split and get divorced, and I was lucky enough for my parents to have the insight to put me into therapy. And as a result of that, I really benefited from therapy as an only child. Um, two parents who were uh, working professionals involved in their, pers- in their personal lives uh, a lot. And so I was um, sort of I grew up quickly and independently, um, and so I got exposed to therapy, and then eventually in college, I was uh, interested in this technology called neuro-linguistic programming, which is um, about um, about the mind, how the mind works, and uh, studied neuro-linguistic programming, became a pra- you know, got, did a practitioner course and a master practitioner course, got very involved in that, in that, um, in that world, which is, has a lot to do with the subconscious mind, the conscious mind. And you, it sounds like you, you may be familiar, but it's, uh, the, you know, the modalities around the, the, the things we say to ourselves and the pictures we tell our, you know, we, we show ourselves and the feelings we feel. And so I learned a lot about the science of how the brain and the mind works and some tools to help change sort of uh, limiting beliefs and whatnot. And so I was super, super interested in all that in college. At the same time, I also was certified as a hypnotherapist. So I went deep on this stuff. So I learned a lot about induction and learned about uh, Milton Erickson and all these folks who, um, who, uh, who are the masters of, of, uh, of hypnotherapy and learned about slide of mouth and all these really, really cool things. And so I've always had a sort of interest in the mind, the, the, the conscious and the subconscious mind. And that kind of played in nicely to my career in sales and marketing because sales and marketing is really about influence and it all starts with the, you know, the, the, the mind and the stories that we tell ourselves. So, um, so yeah, it really kind of started early on. That's uh that's huge. I mean, most people don't say that their mom, uh, got them into it. It's, you know, somebody else because it's, it's typically not from home. But I can almost guarantee that a lot of the people that are more into these things, if they didn't have that complete opposite background where they're like, I was in such a terrible spot that I did a complete 180 and here I am. uh, I can almost guarantee that there's a lot more of that that happens with parents that are just trying to be better people and trying to give wisdom because there's things that I'm sure you've learned over the course of time, especially NLP wise. It's how you talk to yourself where they, as parents say, don't say that to yourself. You're not an idiot. You just didn't do the right thing that time. So let's help you and do something a little different. So with your, with your kid now, 
are you, are you introducing them to Tony Robbins or anything like that? I do meditate with him. He lasts maybe 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> then he's just twitching. He's like, that's it, that I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of here. Ah, I gotta go. And so, um, yeah, so I, I do that. I, um, I'm very intentional about modeling good behavior in front of him. So I meditate in front of him. I don't have an expectation that he's gonna do it, but at least he sees me doing it. I also work out in the same, you know, tip, try to like do push-ups around him, those type of things to give him an opportunity to see uh, what I do. Um, without a lot of over expectation on him just yet. He's not quite there yet. He's seven. So, yeah, but that's, that's a big thing for him to be able to see what you're doing and for you not to pressure him without being like, I'm sitting here. You should sit here too. <clears throat> I think that can push people away. Like, uh, think about how many people it's sort of been a joke. Like, yeah, I played an instrument. I played piano cause my parents forced me to do it or something. And then people are just like pushed away. Right. And I haven't touched it in 30 years. Exactly. And you're like, oh my God, you could be a savant. You don't know. Like your parents knew, but you didn't. And I think I learned that from my parents. My parents both work very, very hard. They still do to this day. Um, and so uh, my parents are both um, physically fit and they both work out. They do a lot of sort of physical activity. And so they never really pushed that on me. I saw that of them. And I think maybe I was influenced by that. So I kind of, I'm modeling the modeling they did for me for my own son. Yeah. Way to go, parents. Good job with that one. And for you to be able to look and be like, oh, cool. Yeah, this is how this works. Instead of like force feeding what somebody taught you and what somebody taught them sort of thing. Uh, I know we've we've gotten into some deeper things, bits and pieces here, but let's talk about a couple of those major moments or you know episodes that have happened in the course of time that you can look back to and say, man, that was a moment that changed me. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Tony Robbins. I... Um... I was in college or sorry, high school. And it was uh, a time in my life where, um, I was, um, hanging with the wrong crew doing not some, some very not healthy things, um, around some habits and just not being very active and sort of the one time when I was not very physically active and got involved in some, just some, some guys who were not very, um, very healthy. And uh, it led to me falling into a depression. And my parents had divorced and separated. My you know, I was living in an apartment with my mom. And, you know, all in all, life was fine. But I think as a child in high school trying to figure out life, I fell into a depression. And um, luckily, my mom had um, the, I'm trying to think of the name of the, the Tony Robbins program, but it was like the uh, Awaken the Giant Within or one of these things. And um, I... Uh, I got to a point where I was so um, just um, hopeless and helpless in life and really was, you know, um, not not in a good spot mentally. And I didn't really feel like I had a lot of options. And I didn't know where I was going. And then luckily I decided to listen to this, this, this uh, tape. It was a cassette tape back in the day. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been through Tony Robbins pro programs. Uh, yeah. So... Um, he's just an amazing, you know, amazing speaker. And, and this has been the time, I think this is when I actually got introduced to NLP through, through Tony. And in any event, I took this program and I mentioned that I remember there was this breakthrough moment in the program and it was like, you know, you're going to be the guy you want to be and you're going to do the things you want to do and you're going to take control of your life. And I remember this, like I can even remember it now, just like this, this massive transformation where it was like finally promising myself to be true to myself and do the, be the person that I truly know the, who I am. And I, I had that sort of emotional breakthrough and that led to, um, 
me cleaning up my diet, cleaning up my, my physical routine, having a fresh look on life. And I remember I went from D's, D's in my D's in classes to straight A's. And, uh, I remember the following semester I met the, at the time, uh, the woman of my dreams and the, this woman, uh, one year older than me <laughs> in high school, but to me, she was amazing and she was way out of my league. Somehow I was able to, um, build a connection with her. We ended up becoming sort of, um, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, really super connected and really spiritually connected, uh, for many years. And so just all this wonderful, uh, transformations have in my life when I decided in that moment in high school that I'm, that, that, um, that I wanted to, um, how do I say it? It's so funny. I've never really put words to this. So forgive me for not being more articulate, but, um, yeah, so I was, it was, it was just, I was, ready and willing to bet on myself when I never had. And when I did that, everything changed. That's uh, that's interesting, man. I, it can be easy to say, I wish I'd done this at this time or what have you. Uh, I didn't experience anything like Tony Robbins until maybe 19, 20, something like that. And I think if I were to listen to some of that throughout high school, maybe things would have been a little different, but probably not because I probably wasn't friggin' ready uh, until you know you get to that point where you're ready. But there are a lot of a lot of kids that I remember um, putting pressure on themselves, like they need to figure out what their five year, their 10 year, their 15 year plan or whatever as a 15, 16, 17 year old kid and them going to college and then becoming a doctor or whatever. Like they have these big glamorous plans. And then there are other people that are like, I don't give a fuck. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be around anybody. I want to go do my own thing and just disappear. I think that all basically stems from the same thing of not being okay in your skin and being able to actually grow from that. So for you to experience that uh, and look back at that now and even kind of articulate that, do you see how you do things now deep work wise that are still of the same mindset or are there things that you do on the daily that you wouldn't be the same without? I think at that moment when I went through that transformation, thank you, Tony Robbins for that. Um, I got connected to what I call the voice. And for me, the voice is intuition. It's sort of the higher power within me um, that is more universal. It goes beyond it's sort of my subconscious. It's something that guides me. And I think ever since that moment, I've, um, I've allowed myself to be guided by the voice. Sometimes I always don't, I don't always follow the voice, but when I do follow the voice, I do, um, I, I, I experience amazing um, moments in life. And so uh, I can give you an example where the company before Scorpion, I was looking to transition out of, and I had an offer from Scorpion to become their CMO. And this is back in 2015. And I had another offer from another company uh, at the same time. And so I was kind of doing these competing offers. And actually the other offer was, it sounded like on paper, it sounded better. It sounded like a better bet uh, a safer bet at the time Scorpion was basically building websites and doing SEO and some things that I felt like it back in 2015, like, God, oh, that's kind of commoditized. There's not much opportunity left in that, in that market. Um, logically, that's what logic said. And, um, this other company was in this massive growth vertical and it was super interesting. I liked the CEO and I remember, um, I was in Santa Monica with my wife. We were at Mexican dinner 
and having some margaritas and I was sharing with her sort of my conflicted sort of mindsets. Like on paper, this one sounds great, but I really want to go to this other one. It doesn't sound as good. Um, and uh, I remember that night because my wife got mad at me because I basically told her my decision, which was that I'm going to go with the one that's less, uh, less attractive on paper. She didn't understand why I would do that. We had a young child at home and, and whatnot. And so she's like, why would you do that? Like you're, you're going against the obvious choice. And so uh, obviously it worked out for me choosing Scorpion. The other company, interestingly, went out of business about two years after that. And so um, just another example of following the voice. And, and um, I make it a practice on a daily basis to reconnect with the voice, listen to the voice and see, you know, what, what I need to do to make you know more changes in my life. I like that. I like the uh, the idea of listening to that voice, but I got to be honest, because one of the things that I like to do on the show is play the devil's advocate of that one person, or maybe there's a couple of them that are like, yeah, fuck you guys. I hear what you're saying, but I've tried that. That's bullshit, or I can't, or what have you. And I think that there are certain people that have a hard time discerning what is their intuition and what's just the monkey mind. So how do you, how would you kind of coach somebody through that? Or what tips would you give them to like, listen through the bullshit of the monkey mind and get to the actual intuition? I think you got to go through the monkey mind. It's a great way to say it. I think there's, there's a process where, uh, you have to, um, allow yourself to be emotional and to let your ego sort of play out. And you could do that in a number of ways. Um, you could go to the beach where no one else is around. You could just yell and scream, get some, get some emotion out. You could journal, you can meditate, you can go deep within. But yeah, there's a certain level of bullshit that we all kind of carry around and, and that uh, that sort of disguises the truth. Uh, the other thing I think is uh, important to do is to, on a regular basis, I do it on a quarterly basis, I do um, sort of, I look at sort of inventory of where I'm at today. And that is uh, in my body, like what are the facts of today? What are, the, what are the facts? And these are facts that like my height, my weight, my health, my, you know, the, my resting heart rate, um, how often I work out and so on and so forth. Like what is the truth of today? And you can't hide from the facts, right? You can't tell stories about the facts of the facts of the facts, right? And so you start with the facts and then based on that, that will lead you into a deeper conversation with yourself. It's so easy, however, for people to avoid the facts uh, because sometimes the facts reveal things that you don't want to see, but, uh, <laughs> and that's true for everyone, myself included, but I've, I've sort of built a discipline around making sure that for the areas that are important for my life, my health, my relationships, my business, that I am, I am attached to the facts. And anytime that I drift from the facts is that's when I start to fall in trouble. That's good stuff, man. Especially to be able to go, all right, well, facts aren't going to lie. So as long as you get those out and start from that, then your emotions are automatically going to come up because you'll be like, oh, there's this. Oh, well, you feel this way about it. But it still is what it is. But at least you can't remove those facts. I, I really appreciate that. I think for the audience, I'm sure there are some people that try to journal. They try to go through things and talk about stuff, but they just get kind of lost in it. And then they get too upset. You know, and I'm sure we've all been there. Like you just mentioned, even kind of going through that monkey brain. I think of like a jungle in a sense. Now, did you ever see the book, or not the book, the uh, the movie Big Fish? I think it came from a book. Did you ever see that movie, Big Fish? <clears throat> With Ewan McGregor and the guy. Um, so it was a 
sci-fi side of, sort of thing, but it's a big story. And at one point he's going through this uh, forest and just pops out into this extra little town that was hidden behind the forest. So I think of that sort of stuff within our mind. We're like, there's that thing that's back there, almost that oasis, but you got to get through the bullshit of being able to do it. And I know for me personally, I've had a hard time over the course of time to be able to not listen to the other bullshit negative talk, but be able to get to the intuition. Now, have you experienced this too, where the intuition doesn't speak in bullshit long sentences? It gives you jabbed specific words like this thing. Yeah. Yeah, you, you you know, and for me, I'm a feeling tone guy. So I, I let sort of a feeling first and then that bubbles up into to words or, or images for me. And so I let that, that feeling is, is the guide for me. Yeah. Yeah, the trigger, you know, that's got to be able to open you up. I'm right there with you. I think uh, I think creatives are like that, where we just feel things at first. And if we feel a little off, like you should listen to it. You know, that the biome, you know, the mic, microbes or whatever else in your system is like, hey, there's something wrong. You should do something with this. So how did you get to uh, how did you get to Insight Timer and doing meditations and things of like that? Did you do it for yourself? Was that kind of like just set it up for you and then put it out there? The voice told me to do it. Um, Thank you, and- voice. <laughs> um, I was called to do that and it was something that. I did is kind of an experiment. So I did, um, I think 12 different meditations and I, I challenged myself to do it within a three month period. And, um, so I did it and, um, I had heard about, I'd heard about inside timer and that you could publish. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting into meditation. I'm getting a lot of value out of it. I want to teach this. I want to find a way to teach it. There's this thing called inside timer. I can publish a couple of, of meditations and, who knows, who knows what might happen, you know, just do it. And it's kind of more of just like, this is kind of scary for me to do. Uh, I think I know what I'm doing, but I, but I'm called to do it. So I, I did it. Um, and what I did was I recorded the 12 meditations and then I uploaded it to insight timer. And, um, the cool thing is that people around the world are downloading and listening to these meditations. I get reviews just like any other, um, product and, it's wonderful, so wonderful, Nick, to see people around the world, like literally from you name it, all walks of life, all places in the, around the world, islands and big countries and everything, um, experiencing value from that meditation. So it is, it's so gratifying to, to, um, to look at that. I bet. And for you to listen to the voice and go ahead and do it, even though it was scary and were you know, uncomfortable and awkward and weird. And you're like, oh, this is not something I'm normally doing. Um, do you find that you, you have more of that, that you're being called to put out there or was that kind of a one-time thing and now you've shifted a bit? So I would love to do more of it. I think from a very practical perspective, I am committing myself to pouring all my free, all my time into building my business. And so, um, at a certain point, there's a small window of time where I thought, well, maybe I can make that a business and kind of be like a headspace kind of thing where I come come up with an app and do sort of meditations for business people. Um, but that is a, um, at this point, more of a hobby than a, than a career. Um, and from a very practical perspective, you know, I've got a wife and kids, I'm not yet independent, uh, financially independent. And so I needed to, to build up the business first. Um, and so to be honest, I mean, being completely transparent, I'm not sure how to integrate those, that, that with, you know, my other aspects of, of my business and my life. I think I came, came up at a time when 
meditation was not a commonly discussed topic, whereas I think it's much more today. And um, so I know it adds value. Uh, I know people love it, love the meditation in general, but also get value out of my meditations. And I'm, I'm sort of open to the universe to figure out what's the next step. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I can tell that even from when we were talking before we hit record, um, that you're like, I can't fully see it. And sometimes that's okay to not be able to fully see. But if you have that feel and you trust the voice to kind of lead you in that direction, and it sounds like you are, where you're not being led in that direction. And I think that's kind of a lesson for all of us of go where you're feeling you should go and give your all to that thing, especially building your business. Now, yeah, there are those things like your wife, child, mortgage, car payments, food and shit. Yeah, there's stuff that you need to take care of. Um, but if you're feeling the thing that you're doing, then that's huge, man. Now, you'd mentioned earlier even about sales and marketing. If you don't have some of that, you're just kind of a grunt sales guy, just trying to push shit. But if you're not able to actually talk to people and have good conversation and get stuff out of them, I think a lot of that's really psychology, don't you? Oh, 100%. I mean, I, you know, sales and marketing are both, in my mind, influence. And the way you build influence is by building trust. And that has to, everything to do with psychology, communication, rapport, as they call it in, in neurolinguistic programming. And so it's a great field for me, sort of professional field for me to leverage all of my interests uh, and my hobbies to the extent of leveraging um, sort of sales and marketing as a way to add value to companies. Now, when you think about yourself doing deep work, are there things that you're working on right now that like, hey, this is the focus, this is the thing that I'm actively working on? Yeah. Well, I've got my, I've got uh, three clients. Two of them are very, very active. One of them is more passive. So I'm dedicated to doing everything I can to, to earn, um, earn an amazing testimonial from them, <laughs> uh, which means uh, my mindset is they, they should be paying me 10% of the value that I create. So if they're paying me $100,000, I should be creating a million dollars worth of value. So I'm trying to create $2 million worth of value so I can really knock it out of the park for them. So that's one. Um, but then for myself, I'm on a mission to, to build ultimately a software business. That's where I'm going with this uh, consulting. doesn't make sense when I say that, but where I'm going is um, in, the, in the next three to five years, I, I want to have a, a significant software business. Not a big, but you know, revenue-wise significant. And how I'm going to get there is right now I'm working with businesses that I believe I'm particularly well-suited to serve. And I'm kind of doing paid market research where I'm learning about the problems, being able to apply my experience and then hopefully find some patterns in the, um, in the problems that I'm solving. And then I'll codify that, maybe create some products and then eventually some software. But that's ultimately where I'm going. That's the big sort of impossible goal that I have for myself. Uh, and that gets me kind of going every day to keep, to keep going. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Are you doing that because you want to be able to build it or is that more of a legacy thing that you're trying to set up? I think both. I think I, one of the reasons why I'm not stepping back into a corporate role after my last company at Scorpion, which I could very easily do based on my background. I've got a lot of opportunities decided intentionally not to, because I've, but I, I extremely value my time <laughs> and I see software as a great leverage of value. So, um, very simply, when you're a consultant, when I'm a consultant, I'm selling effectively my time, but when I'm selling software, I'm selling an asset over and over and over again. And so there's a lot more leverage in that and that's gonna help me to buy back some time uh, so I can spend more time with my wife and my kids and sort of enjoy life doing things other than work. Yeah, 
Yeah, and working how you want to work. I think there are a lot of people that get stuck where they're like, ah, oh, fucking hate my job, or I hate this, I hate that. It's like, well, stop. Go do something else. The fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. The other, the other aspect of that, and this is personal to me, but if I go work for a company, I'm working for an entrepreneur. It's their vision that I'm supporting and not my own. And that's fine. And I did that for many years. But the voice was always telling me that um, I don't need to. I don't need to live within the safety of someone else's um, vision. I can. I have my own vision, and I just need to invest in it. And that's where I'm at. You got to listen to that voice, man. That's a. It's a big thing, you know. So uh, I always like to ask, what's that one piece of advice you'd give somebody that's on their path towards self mastery? It sounds like the voice may be the thing, but if you've got something else, please do. It is the voice. It is definitely the voice. The reason why I say that is um, because I believe that we can all tap into a higher power or a higher uh, set of knowledge and that the, the biggest thing that gets in the way is uh, ego. You know, there's a book by Ryan Holiday, The Ego is the Enemy and these things. Um, what that means to me is that we do a great job of blocking ourselves from hearing the voice. And I believe that um, uh, it's the, the work involved in quieting the mind and getting to hear the voice, whether that's through meditation or working out or whatever that is. Um, I think that work is, is extremely important because um, ultimately, I believe in life, um, that is the most intimate relationship you can have is one with the voice. And so um, it's, it's important relationship to, to build and to invest in uh, over time and it will always pay you back in dividends. Hmm. That's great stuff. So Corey, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? Yeah, thank you. So uh, I have a profile on Insight Timer. If you are a business person and you are looking to level up your mindset for the day, I've got a, a, power, um, a power mornings um, meditation, which I, I think Nick that you've been through a couple times, which I love that meditation. I listen to it all the time. And, um, and others, definitely check that out on Insight Timer. You could also, if you're interested in accessing some of my marketing, uh, my marketing mind and ideas around subscription businesses, I have a newsletter that you can join. It's a daily newsletter. I send an email every single day, five days a week. Um, and again, the topic is for B2B subscription businesses. You can go to coreyquinn.com slash newsletter. And uh, I'd love to see you on the list. So those are two places. Awesome, man. Well, Corey, it's been such a pleasure talking with you, man. I appreciate the conversation, the wisdom, and just you being you. So thank you so much for being on the show. Nick, thank you so much for the opportunity. I had a great time, man. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. So what did you think of the show today? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And check out the Instagram or Facebook page to join the conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It helps us be found and helps others be healed. If this episode opened your eyes, made you think, or smile at all, then I'm sure it'll do the same for your friends. And check out the show notes for more info from today's episode and check out other episodes on themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and look up The Mindset and Self-Mastery Show. Thanks again to our incredible guests for being real, honest, and vulnerable with us today. I'd like to thank our sponsors. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Your support means the world to us. And with that, remember, your mindset matters. And so do you.